0: The USGA events were always the most important. You know, when you were playing junior golf, it was the USJ junior. When you were playing amateur golf, it was a US amateur. When you turned professional, it was the US Open. And-
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Golf Journal Podcast. Alongside my co-host, Mike trossel I'm Dave Giancola. Today, it's another great one for you as we're joined by Andy North, two-time U.S. Open champion and, of course, golf analyst for ESPN since the early 1990s. The Wisconsin native and former Florida Gator joins us to discuss his two U.S. Open wins and his life as a broadcaster. But on top of that, Andy was also on hand recently for a very special announcement by the USGA at Oakland Hills Country Club, where he won his second U.S. Open in 1985. Here's Andy North. And just like that, Andy North joins the Golf Journal podcast. Andy, how are you today? Thanks for joining us.
0: Well, thank you. I I appreciate it. All's well. Get ready for a little tournament next week.
2: Certainly looking forward to that. But Andy, we want to talk a little bit about your golf journey before we talk about, you know, some of the titles you want, including the two U.S. Opens. But if you look at a map of the U.S., you know, I'm not sure Wisconsin would be the first state you would pick is it's kind of a golfing hotbed. But looking at some of the great players that have come out of there between yourself, Steve Stricker, Jerry Kelly and a few others. How did you get involved in a game where you're not necessarily playing year round?
0: Well, I got into the game sort of backwards. Um, I had a, a bone disease, uh, osteochondritis, on in my left knee in seventh grade. And I spent my seventh and eighth grades in, on crutches, non-weight bearing. And I had to stop playing all sports. And I took a, a list of sports into the doctor and said, listen, what can I do? And he just, you know, no, 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 no. All the way down the list. And he got to golf. He said, well, you know, if you use your crutches to walk around and you use a golf cart, uh, you know, I'll let you play. Well, he didn't have any idea. He was not a golfer. Didn't have any idea the the torque that was put on. It was my left knee. But that's why I got started. So basically, one of the worst days of my life where he was told you couldn't do anything, turned out to be, you know, really positive because I found golf. And, and. And I threw myself into it, and it was the only thing I could do. And, you know, lo and behold, fairly soon, I was halfway decent.
1: <laughs> there you go. And, and you know, growing up again through the junior ranks, you've been playing in USGA events forever. When you played in those junior amateurs as a youngster, was that when you realized maybe you had a future in this game?
0: I, well, yeah, I think, you know, I think to me, you know, playing junior golf was awesome. You know, it was a chance to find out if you actually had any idea what you're doing. You got to compete. You know, you you got you met a great group of people that became lifelong friends, and the USGA events were always the most important. You know, when you were playing junior golf, it was. U.S. USJ junior. When you're playing amateur golf, it was a US amateur. When you turn professional as a US open and uh, to get a chance to qualify for the US junior, we had one spot in, in Wisconsin always. So it was, it was not easy to get in and I was fortunate enough to play well and get in and had some fun and played. I, I played two US juniors and, and played uh, well in both of them. Um, I played in, in Ca- Whittier, California. It must've been, 1966, maybe, I beat the defending champion early in the week and got beat by the guy who ended up winning it, Gary Sanders. And then in 67, I played at Twin Hills in Oklahoma City and ended up getting beat in the finals by John Crook. So, Crook. So, um, you know, I I enjoyed the two I played in and and played well. And the only guy that beat me each time was a guy that won. So, you know, it was a, it was a great experience.
1: Yeah, junior golf really gets you ready. And two years after that 67 junior year, you would enroll in the University of Florida. So a Wisconsin boy who can't play golf year round ends up down in Gainesville. What was that like for your game to be able to play 12 months a year in beautiful uh, conditions?
2: Well,
0: I think, you know, it's really interesting that, you know, people look at northern kids. And so well, how would you ever do this? Well, you, you were able to go out, you know, when you had a chance to play like today's a perfect example. It snowed a little bit the last few days, but it's going to be melting and it's going to be, you know, 40 degrees with the sun out. That's a nice day with the wind not blowing. You can go and hit balls in a sweatshirt, you know, so you practice when the weather wasn't exactly great. And when I went to Florida all of a sudden, you know, to have a lot of good weather to practice in, but it was interesting. You get the, we're in Northern Florida, you get the fronts in the winter that would go through and it'd be, you know, getting the forties and low fifties with the wind blowing. And the the kids from Florida didn't want to go play. It was too cold. It was a nasty day. We thought those were great days. You know, you 55 degrees, you had shorts on. (laughs) So, you know, I think it was, if you look at a lot of the really great players who have played this game, Nicholas grew up in Ohio, Watson in Kansas, uh, Palmer in Pennsylvania, you know, obviously you mentioned Stricker earlier. I mean, there's been a lot of really good players that have played. And I think you look at some of those guys, Watson's probably the best bad weather player in my era. Uh, Maybe anybody that I've seen in this game. So, you know, maybe it was a benefit to play here. Some, but it sure was nice to get to Florida and, it was a shock to your system that you're playing in 25-mile-hour winds every day. You're playing view to grass that you'd never really seen much of. And, uh, you know, you had to figure it out.
2: And, Andy, I'm from Massachusetts, and now Dave's from, from up in New Jersey. So I think we can all say from where we're from, we appreciate the good weather days a little <laughs> bit more. And we're going to be a little hardier when it comes to those days in the 40s or 50s. We're a little more willing to head out to the course than maybe oh, some absolutely. others down in the south.
0: You know, when you've sat around all winter long and and haven't been able to touch a club for four months and you get a day that is halfway decent, I mean, you can't Madison, Wisconsin, this time of year, on a sunny day that's forty degrees, you cannot get a spot in any of the ranges. It's an hour wait to go hit balls for thirty minutes. So you know people love it. And, uh, you know, it's really a hotbed of golf. You see all the, the, the major championships and the Ryder Cup and stuff that have happened in
2: Wisconsin over the last few years. You know, that's been awesome. A lot of passion for the game in the Badger State. There is no doubt about it. Now, for you, you started playing in the U.S. Open uh, shortly after you were playing in the, in the Junior Am. You tried to qualify when you were, what, 15, 16 for yeah. the first yeah. time? And, yeah, I... and what what did you enjoy about trying to play? And playing in the U.S. Open, because you had a great, obviously, career record in playing that championship. What made what made the U.S. Open and your game suited to it? You know, I
0: I I was I talked to some of the amateurs at the Open last year. And one of the things we talked about is that, you know, it's it's not easy to get in the Open. And the fact that I missed qualifying 10 years before I got in, Uh, you know, we really, really accept that. I enjoyed going to try to do it when I was a kid. You know, once I got my handicap low enough to do it, I tried every single year and I came close a couple of times. And uh, you had friends that were qualifying. Uh, Jim Simons, for example, had a great chance to win at Marion in 68. Um, He was a great buddy. And, you know, to see him playing there and and you knew the fact that you'd missed, you know, that hurt. Um, But the Open, I loved. I, I loved the way the mentality of the open, the way that USGA set the open courses up years ago uh, with narrow fairways and deep rough and firm, fast, hard greens. I thought it really tested the player. And uh, I thought that, you know, making a par is a, is a good score. You know, and so often we see events now where pars don't mean anything. And, you know, the, the par was a, val- a a real valued uh, commodity, uh, at a u.s open and and i i figured out it fit my mentality really well uh, i love the the mental gymnastics that you went through in an open and it just you know it's just one of those events i just loved and uh, i think it really fit how i tried to play golf and uh really enjoyed playing it you know I, I love the tough conditions and you know i was fortunate enough to play well a few times and but i it was it was great competition. The chance that you were playing in your national championship, it really meant something.
2: And I think each major has its personality, right? You know, Augusta is a course every year. You get to, to know it a little bit, the excitement and pause of the back nine and something like the U.S. Open, it, it moves around from venue to venue and, and some of the, the great courses uh, across this great, great country. And I want to go to 1978 for you in one of those great courses is, is Cherry Hills. Now, for you, how much had you played at altitude? Because that's one of the things that you know makes makes it unique at playing at Cherry Hills and just right. another thing you have to battle in addition to the physical and mental grind that you have going on that week.
0: Well, I think I think interesting. I played in a transmiss amateur at, at Cherry Hills oh in the late 60s. Uh, so I'd seen the golf course. Uh, I had experienced playing at altitude a little bit. Uh, I had a good friend who was a pro in, in, in Denver and I went out, I think I flew out on Friday maybe. And I did uh, a clinic at his club one day and fiddled around with the idea that I wanted to get up there earlier than most of the other guys to, to get a good feel for the, the altitude and get adjusted to it. Cause it's not just hitting the ball, but it's the walking and breathing and, you know, getting your body acclimated to it. You know, you see sports teams go for one day and that a lot of times they don't have great results. Um, you know, playing basketball at, at altitude is not real easy and the dryness and, you know, your body needs to kind of get accustomed to that. So I, I went in a lot earlier than I ever would go into any other events. And, uh, you know, I was playing well. I, I, I came off of a second place, finish, my last start at in Charlotte at the Kemper open. And it was, you know, it was it felt like, you know, you're, you're playing half decent. I like the golf course. And I, and I, and I think I, I figured it out. I, I knew you had to get the ball in the fairway there and, and it was really firm and really fast. And I, I hit a ton of irons that week uh, off the tee. I, I think I only hit, uh, I think I hit four woods a, dro- a day off the tee. I hit a lot of one and two irons. And, uh, you know, at altitude, you know, all of a sudden you hit your one iron. If you normally hit it 210 or 215 back then, you know, maybe you hit it 225 or 230. So, and with it being firm, you can maybe even get it going 240. So, you could get it out there far enough that you could play the golf course, and, and the rough was tough. And
2: I figured it was more important to keep it in the fairway, and I, and I did a good job of doing it that week. You did, and you had a great putting week as well, tied a record, a Billy Casper's record for fewest putts in a U.S. Open championship at the time. And then for you, you're, you're playing with the lead for most of the week up near the top of the leaderboard going into it. You know, things got a little interesting down the stretch, but how do you, how did you keep your composure, you know, over those last few holes, knowing that, you know, a national championship was on the line?
0: Well, I think, I think that's one of the things that I, people don't understand is that, you know, to win any tournament, to come to shoot 64 on Sunday and come from behind, that might be the easiest way to do it. But to do it from the lead where you're sleeping on the lead, you don't sleep very well, maybe you don't eat as well. It has a toll at the end of the week. And I, I, was, I think I was one shot back after the first day and I had to lead the second after the second round, had to lead after the third round. And and another thing that I I think is maybe as I'm as proud of as anything is that I played with Nicholas on Saturday and Claire on Sunday. Wow. They both won major championship that year. So they were at their best. And, you know, to to win an open playing with those guys, beating those guys, you know, that's to me, that meant an awful lot. Uh, as far as the last day, I'd, I'd hit the ball really well all week long, had it in the right places. Maybe i would uh, it was a hard week to hit a lot of greens because the greens are so firm. So you could hit a lot of good shots and so you'd be a foot or two off the green. So you might be putting from off the edge of the green or had a pretty easy chip shot. So the, the number of putts was a low number that week because of that. But I hit the ball great. And uh, on Sunday on 13, I think I had a, now, you might've had a three or four shot lead and I hit a nice shot into 13, a short par four with a little Creek in front of it. It had about a 15 footer and it's lining that putt up, looking at my cat, you know, how you talk to your caddy and, you know, your own way. And I said, you know, we make this thing, this thing's over, you know, that, and I ended up making this birdie to put me maybe four ahead. Uh, I, I don't know if it was, but it was, it was enough that you should have been able to handle it. And that took, all the, uh what, it, it, it felt like you just, you unplugged and you didn't have any, end. I mean, it's like, you shouldn't have thought that. or You shouldn't have said that. Yeah. And literally from that point on, I never hit the ball in the club face. Oh. Uh, I, I hit a, he pulled it left off a fifth, after 14, and hit it left and get uh, ended up making a bogey at 14. And 15 is a par three. It's actually the one good shot I hit I uh, hit a five iron and buried it in the top lip of the bunker. If it carries another yard or so, it's going to be a really good shot. And left it, had it buried in the bunker, didn't get it out Ended up making double. And then hit a couple of really scratchy shots at 16, but got it up and in out of the bunker to save par. And then at 17, I hit, you know, hit okay shots, put it in the fairway, put it laid up down there, hit it on the green two putted. I mean, that was kind of okay. But, and then 18, I had probably the most solid shot I hit the last five or six holes. I had a three iron off the tee. I'd been hitting one iron off the tee all week. I knew I was jacked up and I hit a three iron and just absolutely mangled it and, and hit it through the fairway on the right in the deep rough and then gouged it out down shore of the green. And that hit what I thought was a pretty good pitch shot. Uh, wind was but about 25 miles an hour behind us on that hole. And I hit it. The pin is in the front and middle part of the green. And it was a green. You didn't want to hit it 30 or 40 feet by the hole because the green is so fast from back to front. So, so much slope that I, I hit it. I thought it was a pretty good shot and the wind knocked it down a little bit and it caught the top of the bunker and stayed in the bunker. And then I got that up and in, but, uh, you know, it was, it was weird after I made that putt of 13, it was, you know, your complete control. It was like that little extra bit of concentration or something left your body and it was gone. <laughs> Luckily, we didn't have four or five more holes to play. Or I had no chance.
1: Yeah, so you would prevail at Cherry Hills in 1978, 114 putts over 72 holes, which is just astounding. It's an incredible stat. And it's funny that mental kind of wrestling match you have to have with yourself it's like all right it's one round it's one hole one stroke at a time you really have to boil it down especially when you're coming down the back nine with kind of your eye on the prize but seven years later you would triumph again at Oakland Hills Country Club and we'll talk about Oakland Hills and and the recent announcement in a few minutes but those seven years weren't easy for you with injuries and what was it like to triumph again seven years later in our national championship
0: well I think you know it's to me my goal as a professional golfer I wanted to win the US Open that was that was all I cared about you know you're we're out you're trying to support your family you're trying to make a living you're trying to you know it was your job but to win the open was my was my goal and after 78 you know all of a sudden hey I've done it now what do you do yeah it's know you've heard people talk about it when get to be number one in the world. And once they get there, it's not like, like, what's the, what's the big deal? What's this all about? Uh, you know, people enjoy the, the, the process of getting there, the trip, you know, the, the hard work and getting better every year. And then all of a sudden you're at the top and it's like, Whoa, this isn't quite what I thought it might be. <laughs> so um, after I went in 78, you know, I played okay. I had, I had some, just some solid years. They weren't great, but I was kind of, like a a ship out in the ocean without a a rudder or it was a smaller rudder than you needed. And so you're kind of just going through it and not that you didn't practice and you didn't play well. I mean, I had a chance to win. I had a couple of seconds in 81. I had a second 82. Uh, Nichols beat me at colonial 82 and you had, you know, played some good golf and finished okay in the money list, that kind of stuff. But it was, it was just not quite all there and then I had a bunch of injuries starting in 83 and 84 and when I got to 85 I'd really worked hard the fall before and I felt good coming out of these the surgery I'd had in my elbow and I really I really felt like I was starting to play pretty decent I had some really good weeks I had a lot of screw-ups at the end of tournaments I made an 11 on a par 3 at Honda you you'd you'd fought yourself into a good position and then made an 11 and then you know you had a chance to be a top 10 finish or you know top five finish and you finish 40th and the next week at bay hill i had a really great round going on sunday and I hit what I thought was a good shot on 18 and it didn't carry quite far enough. It went in the water made a double and, you know, ended up going from what you thought was going to be a fifth or sixth to maybe a 10th or 11th or 12th. You know, I I did that a few times, but I I knew I was playing well. And when I went to Oakland Hills, I had not liked playing Oakland Hills when we played the PJ there a few years earlier. I did understand the golf course. And I went in there early and really had some fantastic practice sessions and and spent a lot of time on the golf course uh, by myself late in the evenings, early in the mornings, getting just getting to where I could understand the golf course. And I figured out how I wanted to play it. When I was there before in the PGA, I had absolutely no idea what I was trying to do. Uh, and I, I figured it out, had a great game plan, went out and played very, very well, hit the ball beautifully. The first, the first three days. Uh, I think I was number one in greens hit and even number one in fairways, but I really, really played well. I think through the first three rounds I'd made three bogeys or something. I mean, it was, you know, some amazing, amazing golf. And I I got out there on Sunday and I had absolutely nothing. We played, if you remember, we played Saturday in a cold rain all day long. I don't know if that had any effect to it, but I got out there Sunday and I just didn't feel right at all. And stumbled around and was behind starting out, then got the lead tied the lead and then lost it again. And I made bog I made three bogeys in a row at 9, 10, and eleven, which you know it's nothing to be terribly embarrassed about. Those are really hard golf holes. Uh particularly back then when you're hitting one iron to nine and you know, driver five iron to ten, and eleven is a quirky little hole that's not very easy. And I hit a poor drive of twelve and hit in the fairway bunker. And the shot I hit out of the fairway bunker with a five iron laying up, all of a sudden felt decent. And you kind of got that feeling again. I hit a great third shot in there, missed a short birdie putt, hit a grid iron into the par three and made about a 12 or 15-footer for birdie and got the lead back. And from that point on, I, I hit some pretty good shots. So, um, you know, it's funny how you can lose it and get it back and you think you're playing great and then you've got nothing. Uh, you know, that's the essence of golf, and it's just trying to figure it out at that moment. You know, if you can figure out, as you were saying, shot by shot an important way to play the game. And there's some times when you just feel like you've got nothing, but you got to find some shot you can play to put it on the green and, and keep moving forward. And I was able to do that that Sunday.
1: Yeah, there's certainly some volatility in the game of golf, and I think it certainly comes center stage at the U.S. Open as an example that – 1985 U.S. Open. Jack Nicholas shot plus nine through the first two rounds, you know, missing the cut by three strokes and ended a streak of 21 consecutive cuts made at a U.S. Open. So that just goes to show you you have to have your best game that week and not everyone can have it, but kind of expanding on Oakland Hills to the present day uh, on March 22nd recently in 2022, USJ announced eight championships, including two U.S. Opens and two U.S. Women's Opens would be headed to that iconic venue in Bloomfield, Hill, hills michigan you were on hand for that announcement what was it like just to be a part of that day and returning uh to that area
0: well an awful lot of pride um oakland hills is nice nice enough to give me a membership six seven eight years ago and uh i've actually used i've gone there a reasonable amount of times and played with friends and stuff you know it's nice to show off a great golf course but (laughs) it you know it's such a such history there, such amazing, uh, you know, Hogan and Gouldall and Gene Littler and you know just you know some of the great great players have been able to win there. It's such a great golf course, and to be able to get back, uh, not just the U.S. Open, but the women's and the the amateur and the juniors, uh, I I can't imagine how cool it's going to be in 24 for the juniors to play there to get to experience that amazing place and the history of it. uh, That'll be great. Uh, You know, I I love the juniors, but man, I never got to play a place like Oakland Hills and one of the juniors. So, um, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be great for those guys, those kids. And uh, but to get, I think the one thing that the U S open sort of over the last 10 or 15 years at times has lost its, it's what the U S open should be. And we've, we've played some facilities that, maybe aren't U.S. Open type facilities and to get back to where we're playing a bunch of them at Oakmont and Oakland Hills and Marion, you know, the great, great, and obviously Pebble and Chinook, you know, the the places that people know and to be able to go back there every few years where people remember, you know, oh, gee, I remember the shot that Nicholas hit in the senior open there, or I remember the shot that, uh, that you know Palmer played and and whoever yeah, I think that I think that's a big part of it and I think that's you know why people love the Masters so much is because you remember so many things about it and because it's the same golf course where I think if you know when we play these iconic places and you can talk about what Billy Casper did at, at at, uh, wing foot or what, uh, you know, hail when the shot he played in the last hole at wing foot. Those are neat things. And people, the golf fans remember those.
2: And Andy, obviously you're a student of golf history there. And, you know, for you to get, put your name in the U S open trophy for a second time and, and to do it at a course like Oakland Hills that, you know, so many great players have won there, including Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, and so many others is, uh, it's quite an achievement. And, uh, you know, a course Thanks. that, um, you know, and now we'll we'll uh, will look a little bit different with the restoration by, by Gil Hans this past year. But I know everyone up there is extremely excited. And this announcement, it seems like it was even more meaningful uh, with what happened up there a couple months ago, the uh, the very unfortunate clubhouse fire uh, that that took a, a large chunk of, of that clubhouse up there. Thankfully, uh, no one hurt uh, in that. But it seems like in in talking with the membership up there, for you having been up there, this means a little bit extra now with everything that's happened in the past couple months. Well, the, the members of
0: Oakland Hills taken an awful lot of pride in their golf course and their, their history there. And and the tragedy that happened at the clubhouse, you know, there's a, just the history in that clubhouse, they, they they're able to get a lot of stuff out of there, but you know, there's some things that are going to be, that were lost and, and just, you know, walking through the locker room and knowing that, you know there's been the Hogan's and the Palmers and the Nicholases and all those guys have been there. That was cool. And, you know, they'll build something back. It'll be fantastic. Um, they'll be able to, you know, probably when you take a building and you add on to it, sometimes it's not quite as functional as you'd like. They'll be able to get it just amazing clubhouse, just the way they want it. But the, the golf course is there and they're really proud of what's been done there and what Gil and his team have done, uh, renovating it. It's beautiful. Uh, it's going to be an amazing site for all these venues. And by doing all this renovation and the underground air, air drainage and, and whatever, they've now got the golf course set up for the next 50 years of, of tournament
2: golf. And as Dave mentioned, eight USJ championships going there over the next three decades. So Oakland Hills will be a staple in the USGA championship rotation. Uh, you know, Andy, for you, um, you know, some of our, our younger viewers or our younger listeners may know you best from your broadcasting work, something you started in, in the early 1990s. How did you get involved with that?
0: Well, like so many things in life, totally by accident. Um, I had for years when Shekinian was, was running the show at CBS, uh, if I played early on a Saturday morning and had nothing to do Saturday afternoon, I might, I'd go sit in the truck once in a while and watch how it was done. And it intrigued me a little bit. I had no training at all. Um, in '92, I believe Gary Koch broke his leg at Canada, and the next week was Quad Cities, and they needed somebody for Quad Cities. And I wasn't playing very well. I mean, I was fighting some injuries and that, whatever. And they called, and said, "Would you be interested?" Said, yeah, sure. What the heck? I can drive down to Quad Cities. It's easy. Let's see. let's try it. And they seemed to like what I did. Uh, they offered me. A contract and, and I went ahead and, and did it. Uh, they actually had ESPN had come to me the end of the two years before and asked if I'd be interested. And I told them at that time I wasn't. I'd just come off of surgeries. And I wanted to rehab and see if I could you know, keep trying to play. And then finally, we made a decision, why not try this? The worst case scenario is you, you do it for a year and you don't like it. i still got exempt years left. I go back and try to play again, and maybe a year off would help my body heal up, and I'd be you know, better off for it. Well, that was 30, 30 years ago. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm having fun doing it.
1: Uh, I think you're humble. I think you know very well what you're doing. And as somebody who grew up with kind of that six hours of sports center on loop, your name, face and voice became synonymous with with golf analysis for an entire generation. When you got into it, I have to assume and and play by play broadcasters don't necessarily have to do this because they normally come from a broadcasting background, not an inside the ropes competitive background. When you had to get in the booth and be critical of your peers, perhaps, um, and have an opinion that might not have been popular. How did you become comfortable doing that?
0: Well, I think, you know, when I got started, I think the most important thing is I wanted to find out what guys did that I liked, And I, at that time, I liked uh, Hubie Brown doing basketball. And I liked John Madden doing football. And I got some of their tapes and watched it and watched as, why do I like these guys? And basically, it was, they told me something I didn't know. And they did it in a way that was entertaining or, you know, informational, whatever. So I thought, well, you know, it's, I think it's important that it's real easy just to, you know, read press press clippings back to people or give stats or whatever, Uh, but tell, tell the public something they don't know. And I think that was always important to me. So I tried to always do that. And I tried to, I tried to promise myself when I started this, I wouldn't use I or me, uh, you know, which is really easy to do. And I think if you, you can be critical of a player, you know, as long as it's not personal and I don't think anybody has any trouble with that. See, to me, I thought the most important thing was is to be able to set the shot up and talk about this. Assuming I'm on the golf course with a, with the league group on a Sunday, let's say, you know, you set the shot up, explain, the player's strengths or weaknesses or, uh, what, how they perform under pressure or what type of shot. I mean, for example, if before Norman hits the shot at the 18th hole at the masters or at the open that, you know, under pressure, he has a tendency to hit the ball to the right. Okay. So if he hits it to the right, you know, he's hit it to the right. You haven't been critical of him. You just, that's, that's his miss when he's under pressure. If the guy pulls it off and hits a great shot, Hey, he, that was amazing. He overcame this pressure situation and didn't didn't succumb to his weak, weakness or something. And there's a way to do it in a way that it's always positive. And to me, that was really important. I mean, it's real easy. Oh, that you know after the shot, oh, that was horrible. Well, but if you set it up properly beforehand, you don't have to say anything afterwards. And you know, you, you've already you've already said it that you know this is his tough shot. He doesn't he doesn't like a ball, a lie with the ball above his feet. He doesn't handle that very well. Oh, gee, he hit a great shot. What a, that's a terrific play. You know, so I think there's ways to do it. I'd never wanted. You know, there's a lot of times you could say stuff about a guy, but you know, he's not dogging it. He's trying hard. uh You know, he hit a bad shot. That's welcome to this game. It's it's amazing when you sit in the tower for 10 or 15 years. How, how much easier the game becomes. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. A guy hitting a three iron 35 or 40 feet from the hole is a heck of a good shot.
1: I think everyone appreciates an opinion, especially when it is objective. It's it's not personal. It's a great point. I mean, you're studying the tape, right? There's, there's nothing personal about saying if a basketball coach says we should foul Shaq and send him to the free throw line, look at his free throw percentage. You're not right. It's nothing personal, right?
0: Well, I think if you explain that, you know, hey, in the next two minutes, uh, you know, Shaq is, they're going to do Shaq attack. That's how they attack him at yep. the end of the game. So either he has to make some free throws, he needs to be sitting on the bench. That's nothing wrong with that. But after, you know, after he's missed two in a row, if the guy, well, gee, he's terrible. You know, that's a whole different way of looking at it.
1: Very, very good point. Now, Andy, before we let you go, I wanted to take this full circle back to Wisconsin. Uh, Recently, you were able to help design a 12 hole par three course called 12 North. Let's see what they did there at Trapper's Turn Golf Club in Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin. Tell us a little bit about that project.
0: Well, I'm fortunate enough that I, I did 27 holes at Trapper's back 25 years ago, and there was a 20-acre parcel kind of in the middle of the golf course that would make sense, and the owners, you know, why don't we do something here? So, we'll, you know, we looked at holes, and, you know, can we – let's do a par 3 course. So, it was, sure. So, it was it's it was a really interesting piece of property that there's some caverns and some, you know, some pretty good elevation changes in there. And we, so, we went in and, and fit in. You know, we could have done nine, we could have done 10. We could, you know, the number of holes really doesn't make any difference. We could have done 10 or 11 holes as easily or just nine. And we thought 12 would be a little bit different. And there happens to be a quarterback up here that wears number 12 (laughs) that we're friends with. So we thought, you know, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Um, So it's a, it's a really neat little, little par three. The holes range from probably 75 yards to 150 uh, but what we did, I think differently than a lot of the other par three courses, you see, we built normal green complexes. Uh, we, we did, you know, 3000 square foot greens or, you know, 3,500 where they're big enough. The bunkering is if, if you go out there, you look at a hole and it looks like a hole that could be on a golf course anywhere. It's just a little bit shorter. Uh, so that was something that was important for us to give the the player a real, uh, great feeling. You're playing a real golf course. Uh, and then also we did, I don't, I'm not a guy that puts a lot of slope in greens. Um, I think that some of the hardest greens to putter, the ones that are really flat, just little gentle slopes. Mm-hmm. And with the speeds, we, everybody wants to play. Now you can't have much slope on these greens, but with the, with this golf course, with, you know, with a bunch of wedges and nine irons and stuff in your, we did, we did some greens with two or three levels. Uh, we did, we created probably a half a dozen hole in one pins, to where if you just throw it in, it, it comes down. It's very much like the ninth hole, at the par three at Augusta National, where if you just throw it in the right area, it comes off the slope, and you got a really good chance of making it. We had eleven hole in ones the first three or four months that we were open. Which that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted, you know, how cool is it for a guy to make a hole in it? That's all they're gonna talk about. That's the best advertising you could ever have. So uh, we had one guy that made two of them in like back-to-back days. Um, which is, you know, that's that's mind blowing in a lot of ways. But and there's there's some really nice quality shots. There's a there's a couple of seven or eight iron shots that you've got to play that are are, you know, you'd you'd put that hole in any golf course you ever played. So we're really proud of it. We think it's gonna be a lot of fun and it's a place that does a lot of a lot of outings, a lot of groups, you know, eight guys go there and plays with because the twenty seven holes, you can mix and match the nines and you can go in there for a couple of days and feel like you're playing different golf courses. There's gonna be a lot of emergency after a burger and a beer out there at seven o'clock in the summer there are going to be a lot of groups out there trying to get 12 in before it gets dark so we're excited about it it's going to be a lot of fun and and that's what this is supposed to be you know your golf's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be for the guy who's out there paying his hundred dollars to go play golf you know it better be fun you better enjoy it and my idea in this in the courses we've done is that we want to create something where the people want to come back and play it again, not just, well, we did it. We put it on our list, but Hey, instead of going here, let's cancel and come back here next weekend. That kind of thing.
1: There you go. Golf is supposed to be fun. That sounds like a ton of fun. And as you said earlier, if it's a uh, 40 degrees and, and the sun's out, I'm sure it's a packed T sheet. So <laughs> Andy, yeah, absolutely. Andy, we can't thank you enough for joining us today and for taking the time. And again, for being a part of that special Oakland Hills announcement. Thanks for joining us.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And it's, it's going to be a great, great run of golf this year. So it'll be a lot of fun looking forward to get forward to getting to Boston for the open.
1: Yep, we will see you at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, no doubt. And folks, there you have it. We can't thank Andy enough for joining us today and again for being part of that incredibly special announcement at Oakland Hills. We can't wait to get those eight championships up to Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. For our guest Andy North and my co-host Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola and we'll talk to you next time.